Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We have been, since the beginning of January, we have been doing a series on God's appearances, God showing up to different people and, and what that looks like and what that means when God, God shows up in people's lives. And we've been working through some stories in the Old Testament. We're going to look at some stories in the New Testament. We started by looking at Jacob's vision of the angels descending and ascending in Bethel. And then at the end of Jacob's sojourns, as he's coming back to to the land of Canaan, we looked at this this appearance of a man that we see as God that shows up and just starts wrestling with Jacob. We've talked about Moses on Mount Sinai and and God passing by him and God's presence showing up and, and God hiding him in the cleft of the rock and saying, you can't see my face, but you'll see my back, or some translations even say the idea is where I just was, this idea of God showing up for Moses. And then finally, last week, we looked at Joshua and the angel of the Lord that appeared before the battle of Jericho and strengthened him and encouraged him. And one of the things in these that I've noticed as we've been looking through these stories is that these these moments when God seems to show up are in moments of of tension, often moments of crisis or change, is when these these characters have encountered God's presence in a unique way. And it just makes made me wonder and made me think, how many of you are have, when you've been experiencing moments of crisis or change or tension, would appreciate God showing up and saying, here's what is going to happen, or here's what I would like to have happen next? Some of you, not all of us, which is fair because some of these stories are, are pretty strange and just, I mean, if, if what that looked like was you had to wrestle with God for all night, maybe you'd take a different, different one. But anyway, yeah, so we've, we've seen these moments and we've seen these different encounters with God and, and yeah, I, I am with you in not necessarily being sure. I think that I would like to have that assurance and presence, but it also seems a little terrifying, right? And and that is a common thread that we see also, is people are afraid in God's presence, which is he's God, if that seems reasonable. So today I want to took, take a look at Elijah. Um, Elijah in shows up on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17, and we don't really know anything about Elijah other than we're told in verse 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then it doesn't rain. We don't know anything else about Elijah. His name means Yahweh is God. The Lord is God. And other than that, we don't know anything about him other than he shows up and he stands before Ahab and he says, other than at my word, there will be no more rain in Israel. And he tells this to King Ahab and the story goes in chapter 17 that there's no rain. There's, there's famine in the land. The rivers are driving, drying up. Until in chapter 18, Elijah comes before uh, the administrator of King Ahab 
with a message for the king. This is three years later in chapter 18. He comes before him and he says in verse 1, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food. Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land there to cover Ahab going one direction, Obadiah in the other. So they're out searching for water. And, and as Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. And they have this conversation where Obadiah says, Don't make me do this because if you don't actually show up, Ahab is going to kill me. And Elijah asserts him, No, tell him, Come and I will present myself before him today. So, verse 16 of, of chapter 18. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When they, he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah replied, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So the nation of Israel has been in this tension and this conflict in which they have been straying after and worshipping this false god Baal. And the, the king and queen of Israel at the time have been encouraging this. And there's this, this moment of tension in which Elijah shows up before Ahab. He's already, there's already been famine in the land and they've been searching for water it's at this desperate moment for the nation of Israel. They're, they're searching the land. Can we possibly feed our animals? Well, we have enough for our animals. And Elijah shows up before Ahab and he says, Bring the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah. We're going to meet on Mount Carmel. And they, and they say, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people are silent. They don't say anything. They're, they don't really want to make a decision. And the story continues that the, that Elijah and the prophets of Baal stand before and they, they present, Elijah presents a contest. We are having the Super Bowl today. We know about contests. Elijah presents a contest. My God against your God. We're both going to set up altars to our God. And whichever God responds to our altars, there's no, there's, we're not going to use any fire. Whichever God responds to our sacrifice by sending fire from heaven, this is the true God. And the people say, yes, this sounds like a great, this sounds like a great plan. We know that only a true God could possibly respond like this. And so they do it. And the prophets of Baal get to go first. And it says that they spend all day, all morning trying to get Baal to respond, trying to get him to do something. 
and they're cutting themselves and they're dancing and, and nothing is happening. Their God is not responding. Elijah starts mocking them and still nothing happens. And you can tell there's this moment of tension. So then it's Elijah's turn. Nothing happens. It's Elijah's turn. He builds, he restores the altar to God, to Yahweh, and he builds it up. And then he says this. Remember, there's been no water in the land, no rain in the land for three years. And he said, he builds the altar and he says, come and douse the altar in water. So they bring buckets and they, and they cover the sacrifice in water. And he says, do it again. So they come and they cover it in water again. And he says, do it again. So again, they cover in water. The, the, the trench around the altar is filled with water. And the, and here's what we have in verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. The Lord, the God of, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, Yahweh, He is God. The Lord, He is God. In this moment of the fire consumes everything, this the prophets of Baal have been trying and they haven't got a single spark. And God responds with this massive fire from heaven that consumes the entire altar, all the water, everything around it. And the people respond, the Lord, he is God, which is the name Elijah. But they respond, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah turns and they have, he says, seize the prophets of Baal. And they, they seize them, they kill the prophets of Baal. And Elijah turns to Ahab and he says, Go, eat and drink, it's going to rain. And Elijah goes up on the top of Mount Carmel and he starts praying. And they look off in the distance and there's a cloud that's coming. And eventually they send the messenger back to Ahab and says, Get in your chariot before the rain stops you. And you need, you need to go. And, and we're told in verse 45, The sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and it, Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. What a story, right? I mean, come on. And this is just the prelude to what we're talking about this morning. Let's pray. God, as we open your scripture today and as we hear this story of Elijah, may our hearts be open to the words that you have to say to us. May we, may we hear what it is that you want to speak to each and every one of us. May we find comfort when we need comfort. May we be challenged where we need to be challenged. Amen. This, this is just the prelude to what is about to happen. Look at what happens in chapter 19 where, where Elijah really meets God. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey 
into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. But to show you where we're looking at here, I don't know if you can see that map very well, but this is a map of the of Egypt and, and Israel. So right about up here, that's where Mount Carmel is, right up up there. Uh, I, Elijah goes with his servant. It says that he leaves his servant in Beersheba, which is down about here. Beersheba is, so Elijah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. So up here in this portion, the southern kingdom of Judah is where Beersheba is. And Beersheba is the southernmost town in the kingdom of Judah. So Elijah runs and he and he flees. When he hears that, that Jezebel is threatening his life, he flees all the way to the southernmost point of Judah. Once he gets to the southernmost point of Judah, he leaves his servant there and keeps going a day's journey into the wilderness. And he, and he lays down and says, take my life. I want to die. Which, let's be honest, after what we just read in chapter 18 is a bit of a surprising response, is it not? Although we probably have had experiences like this ourselves where we have had things going really well for us and then we get a, a piece of criticism, we get an attack, and all of a sudden that's the only thing that we can think about, right? So maybe it's not so surprising. And yet a, a prophet like Elijah who is so fully aware of God's presence, we're a little surprised at how quickly this turnaround comes for him. And he flees. And, and the other question that I have is if... Elijah just wants to die. Why does he run away? Because he could have stayed there. And that, that was the whole point, right? That she was said, I'm going to kill you. So it's not that Elijah just has a death wish. There's something else going on here. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that too. But he flees. He flees to Beersheba. And then he goes another, another day's journey. And he lays down under a broom bush, which is, this is a broom bush. He's out in the wilderness. And he finds one of these. And he gets in the shade of it and he lays down to die. And he says, take my life, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So he continues traveling, and... Oh, there we go. So he continues traveling 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, this is Mount Sinai. It's also known as... Mount Horeb. This is probably the same same mountain, and it shows up. It's it's used interchangeably in Exodus and Deuteronomy as Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. This is the the mountain where God met with Moses in the burning bush. This is the mountain where God met with the nation of Israel. So we're not exact. It doesn't tell us why Elijah chose this mountain, although he would have known it to have significance. We don't know exactly where that mountain is, but this is. Uh, where most 
historians think it was somewhere in this area here. So he travels for 40 days to this mountain. So he goes from a place of, take my life, I want to die, I'm not going any further, to 40 days more into the wilderness until he reaches Mount Horeb. And there he goes to a cave and spends the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Here's what I think is going on here. God, Elijah shows up on this mountain, and God shows up for Elijah. And he asks him a question. What are you doing here? Why, why are you here? He's left Israel. He's left Judah. He's come all the way down on this journey. What are you doing here, Elijah? And look at Elijah's response. It's, I've been zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, put your prophets to death. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. Which I think, as I read this, I think this is less of an answer and more of a question to God. And I think the question to God that Elijah is asking is, what are you doing here? This is what I've been doing, Elijah is saying. And I've been doing it for a long time, and it's been hard. And now I feel like I'm, I can't do it anymore. What are you going to do, God? What are you doing here? And we get a little bit of why he laid down to die in the wilderness. He thinks he's alone. He thinks he's been abandoned. He feels like all this work that he's been putting in has been a waste. No one sees, no one knows, no one knows how hard it's been. And he feels like nobody gets it. And that God has abandoned him as well. How many of you can relate with that feeling at some point in your life? We don't know we, we feel isolated. We feel alone. And so Elijah's response is, what are you doing here, God? What are you doing? And here's God's response to Elijah. It says, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. To the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. This is just, this is, ah, man, this story, is, I just love it. So they, they have this exchange. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives his response that I think is also a challenge to God. And God says, go stand and I will make my presence, I will appear before you. I'll make my presence come before you. And there's this wind, this massive wind that comes through and everything is shaking and the mountain is being torn apart. We just read that as words on paper, but just imagine like the, the hurricanes that you maybe have experienced or the wind, I mean, just the mountain is being destroyed by this wind. Then an earthquake. The Lord is not in the earthquake. Then a fire. The Lord is not in the fire. I mean, just imagine what Elijah must have been seeing and experiencing in this. And so, and this is where we expect the Lord to be in these things, right? I mean, this is the story of Israel. When God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai with the Israelites, the description is like it was a consuming fire. The people were terrified to go up on the mountain. There's thunder and lightning. This is what we expect God's presence to be. But it's not there. Or is told specifically, the Lord was not in these things. And after that, a fi- after the fire came a gentle whisper. The King James translates this, a still small voice. The, the, the Hebrew here is, is difficult. The, probably the best, most, most literal translation of this would be the sound of silence. Which, what does silence sound like? And, and here is where God shows up. Elijah hears it. He hears the sound of silence, the gentle whisper, the still small voice. And he goes out to the cave. And God asks him the exact same question. And Elijah gives him the exact same answer. I just, like the audacity of Elijah after all of that to come back and say the exact same thing. Like, where are you? What are you doing here, God? And God responds. After all of this, he then gives Elijah a mission. He says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. So all of this happens... And God doesn't really give Elijah Elijah a response. And Elijah doesn't really change, but somehow something does change here. And I want to make just a few observations about God that we learn from this, some observations about Elijah and some observations that we learn about ourselves as we look at this story. First of all, notice that God does not get angry with Elijah. God does not 
after after the audacity that Elijah has to give him the exact same response after God has shown all of this other force and shown up in this still small voice, God does not say, Elijah, get over it. Like, or how dare you abandon the thing that I have called you to. He's not angry with Elijah for challenging. He's not angry for Elijah for questioning, for doubting, for wondering what God might be doing, for being, for putting him in a situation where he feels abandoned and alone. God's not angry with Elijah. Second, uh, Elijah is persistent. This is something that I think, well, two things. Elijah's persistent and God shows up in a very subtle way, doesn't he? I mean, maybe not so, I don't, I don't really know what to make uh, actually of this, the idea that God was not in these other things. Where did they come from if it wasn't, God was doing it, but he wasn't in it? And I'm not really sure what to make of it, but how, the way that God finally shows up in this still small voice and the gentle whisper in the sound of silence. A couple of things strike me as, as we think about what does it mean when we are in these moments of tension and we come before God with questions, with fear, with doubt, and the way, or, or with just requests and the way that God responds to us. First of all, sometimes I think when things, when we are in moments of tension and we go to God, we are not persistent in the way that Elijah is persistent. We expect immediate results. We prayed, now God should answer the prayer. And we get frustrated when it doesn't happen. But the way in which God shows up to Elijah's persistence, I think speaks to a lot of the ways in which God shows up in our lives today and is speaking to us today. We expect and we want God to be speaking to us in the thunder and the lightning and and in the, the majesty of what he is able to do. We want an audible voice that says, go and do, or we think we want at least. But often what I've found is that God is speaking in the quiet and in the silence and in gentle whispers. And a lot of times what we do when we're in moments of tension, when we're going through hard times, is we pray and then we check our Instagram or pop on Facebook or we we turn on the TV, we turn on the radio, read a book, go out and do something. We don't wait around for God to respond. Or if God is responding, we're expecting him to make it be this big, massive, here it is, laying it before our feet in this mighty thunderstorm or something like that. But God shows up, I would argue, more more often in the quiet, more often in the stillness than he does in the thunderstorms and in the lightning and in the fire. And sometimes it takes the thunder and the lightning storms and the fire for us to hear what God is actually saying to us because 
we're so busy doing other things that we can't hear him in the silence because we don't create time for silence. The way that the people of Israel were expecting their Messiah to come, the way that they're expecting Jesus to come, the Christ to come in the first century, was someone who was going to bring the thunder and the lightning and the victory, this overwhelming force. And when he came in quiet and stillness, when he came riding on a donkey instead of on the on a war horse, they didn't want anything to do with it. And they rejected him. The way that Christ came was not, the way that he brought his victory was not through conquering, but through sacrifice. This is the way that God worked. God is speaking to us in his scriptures. They're sitting at our homes, and we don't take the time to pick them up because we're too busy with other things, and we don't have time for it. How many of us are praying, and then we're looking elsewhere for answers? We see things that are going wrong in our society and we're looking to other people to solve those problems rather than looking to God to solve those problems. We look, we strive, we, we, we want someone big and powerful and strong. We think influence comes from the number of followers we have or the status that we have, the money, the power that we have rather than in the subtle and the small and the weak that Christ brought. How many of you this week saw that sunset on Wednesday night? Yeah, wasn't that amazing? There was a beautiful sunrise Wednesday morning and a sunrise Thursday morning too. We see something like that, right? And we think, this is God. Like, how can we not appreciate God's creation and His beauty in all of these things? Right? How many of you felt that when you saw that sunset? But God is just as much present in the cloudy, rainy Friday as he is in that sunset, is he not? And we, as, as his followers, should be people who have eyes to see him working, yes, in the sunsets and in the majesty and in the power that he has, but also in the common and in the everyday. He's there. And it's, it's often us that aren't listening, not that he's not speaking. And then third, and finally, God's response to Elijah after all of this is to just send him back to work. He says, here's some things that I have for you to do. Now, go. Essentially, he says, no one ever told you this was going to be easy, Elijah. No one ever promised that this life was going to be free of pain and, and simple. But go back to work. There's more work that I have for you. But then he ends with this, verse 18. Yet I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. He essentially says, 
the question that Elijah had at the beginning, you are not alone. You're not alone. You may think that you're alone, but you're not. There are 7,000 others who are also not worshiping the Baals. You are not in this alone. And I think one of the things that our enemy tries to do to us is make us feel like we're alone. Make us feel like we're the only ones that are experiencing this pain right now. We're the only ones who really, who are, who are really passionate for what God wants for us and all these other people just are so into all these other things and they're distracted by this and, and there's no one else who gets it like I get it. But there's nobody else who understands the struggle that I'm experiencing right now. There's nobody else. And I want you, if you're feeling that way, or if you have felt that way, to look around you this morning. You are not alone. You have this community here. We're not all alike, but we are all in this together. And you may feel alone at times. But it's a lie. And you have brothers and sisters in this room who care for you, who love you, who support you, who pray for you, who want to be on this journey serving our Lord together with you. We're very different. We have old and young. We have conservative and liberal. We have uh, Patriots fans and Rams fans. Uh, I mean, we're all Seahawks fans, right? But, you know. Uh, we, we all have different priorities and different jobs and different social statuses and different things going on in our lives. But we are a community together. When we gather in this place, and we sing together, and we worship together, and we read these scriptures together, we are challenged by the same words, and we commit ourselves once again to serve our God together. You are not alone. God shows up for Elijah in a really unexpected way. One of the things that we'll see as we continue this story is God does not show up in the same way to these different characters. It's always different. Sometimes it's wrestling. Sometimes it's this presence passing by. Sometimes it's this quiet. Sometimes it's a soldier with a sword. It's, it's different, and yet he's never absent from his people. He hasn't given up on us. And when we doubt and when we question and when we feel like we're abandoned or not, God is there with us. And he doesn't get angry. He can handle our questions and our doubts. But sometimes he's speaking to us. And it's not that it, and it's just us that don't have the ears to hear. And we're not quite paying 
close enough attention. But when he does speak, he reminds us that there's a mission to do, that we're, he's called us. He's called us to be a people who bear witness to him in this world. And it will be hard, but we're doing it together. And even when we feel alone, we're not alone. Let's pray. God, as we have heard these words this morning, we ask for, that I ask for the ability to put down the distractions. More time to sit in the silence. More time to hear the subtle ways in which you're speaking to me and to us. God, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful, who is always with us, who never abandons us. God, who is speaking and working in our lives. And God, we thank you for brothers and sisters that when you have called us to this work, you have not called us to do it in isolation, but you've called us to do this together. And I thank you and we thank you for this community and this people who are on this journey together. May we bear witness to you faithfully this week. May we serve in the moments of tension and hardship and change. May we do so faithfully proclaiming your name to our world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Psalm 139 Verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. As you go out from here this morning, may you be reminded that God's presence goes with you. May you hear him speaking to you in the still small voices, in the sunsets, in the dawns, Wherever you go, may you know that he is with you. May you know that you are not alone. You are not abandoned. And may you go and bear witness to his presence in your life for those around you this week.